All right, here we go. We're in the middle of a series on reigning in the new birth. Reigning in the new birth. Knowing that who we are in Christ Jesus. You know, when people say you're born again, it's, it's amazing how it seems like for something that's a new creation, something that is coming back to life, how it looks so much like what we used to look like. And what we have to do is learn by faith who we are in Christ. And last, last week, we talked about how Christ died as us and was in the grave. And the Bible says that he was literally in hell, the Bible says. And if you weren't here last week, get that, get that message and uh, go over that. But the great thing about that is, is that it says that, that God did not leave his soul in hell. Right? He had victory over the grave. Amen? And this victory was not his victory. It was our victory. He did not die for his sins. He died for our sins, right? And it says that we were baptized into him, right? In his death, in his burial, and even in his victory, in his resurrection, we were in Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, in the Amplified Version... It says, for if because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one. So there was a time where death reigned. There was a time where death reigned over our lives. And why did death reign? Because of the trespass of one. Who was the one? Adam. Adam. Romans 5.17, because of this one man, Adam, his lapse, his offense, death reigned. Death reigned over the human race through that one. Much more surely, it's a sure thing, will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself. Today you are in right standing with God because of his grace, his overflowing grace, and his unmerited favor. It has nothing to do with you. It all has to do with God. Putting them into right standing with himself. What should these people do? Reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. We, as born-again believers, we that have been given the abundance of grace and the gift of being in right standing with God Almighty, we are to reign in life as kings. Sounds too good to be true, huh? But it is true. It is true. The mission of Jesus was not to begin the Christian religion. Jesus wasn't out to start another religion. Do you understand that? His mandate was to reveal and redeem the image and likeness of God in human form. His goal, his mandate, was to take man back to where before they fell in the Garden of Eden. Family, unity, oneness. And we've turned it into this great big religious machine. That's what Jesus came to do. 
We've been talking about the reigning in the works of Christ, reigning in the new birth. These are all the things that Christ has done for us. We were crucified with Christ. We died with Christ, the Bible says. We were buried with Christ. And if you weren't here over the last couple weeks, get the CDs, they're free. And we got all the scriptures that back all this up. We were raised with Christ, and now we are seated with Christ. Amen. And number six, we are to rule and reign with Christ. And that is awesome. So today we're going to be looking about fighting. Fighting from a seated position. Fighting from a seated position. Look what Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 2 says. And this is the Amplified Version. If, if you're not familiar with the Amplified Version, basically the, the Hebrew and Greek is what the Bible was translated out of. And what the Amplified Version does, it takes these Hebrew words and these Greek words. In the New Testament, it's Greek. In the Old Testament, it's Hebrew. And these Greek words have such a larger definition than our English words. And so what they do is they look at these words and they amplify the word so that you have a better understanding of what that scripture is trying to say. Say. So that's what the Amplified Version is, and that's why they've got the the words and brackets and stuff like that up there. And you. So who's he talking to? You, right? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins. So what are we? Are we dead or are we alive? We're alive, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world. We're under the sway of the tendencies of this present age. Following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of of God. Verse 3, among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by corrupt, corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginations. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind, but God. Aren't you so glad for the but God? But God. At one time, we were controlled by our our nature. We were controlled by our flesh. We were controlled by the, the God of this world, which is Satan, demon spirits. We were manipulated by that. And you might be thinking, well, I've never ran into a demon before. I've never been controlled by a demon spirit. Well, if you watch TV, you've been controlled by a demon spirit. That, that's the whole way the world system, the way the world does things, is, is totally controlled by Adam, the fallen nature, and the God of this world, Satan. We're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. right? We're supposed to be a light in darkness. We're supposed to bring everything, every, all thoughts, into subjection of Christ. But God... When we were under the control of, of their dominion, when we are in the control of our own flesh, our own sensual desires, God, but God, 
So rich is he in his mercy because of, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and, and intense love with which he loved us. Wow. He did all this because of the intense, intense, wonderful love in which he loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. See, there's that word union. You are one with Christ. We are in fellowship with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life with which he quickened him. Quickened him, what's that mean? Made him alive. When did he quicken him? When did he make Christ alive? When he raised him from the dead, right? The resurrection power, right? It is by grace, his favor and mercy, with which you did not deserve. That you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partaker of Christ's salvation. We are partakers, we are in union with Christ's salvation. And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue virtue of being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Right now, as you sit here, you are actually also seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why? How, How can that be? Because the very spirit that dwells in you is the spirit of Christ. And Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. You are in union. So as you sit here, Christ sits here. And as you sit there, as Christ sits there, you sit there. Ain't that amazing? It's amazing, this union of the spirit that we have come to know in Christ Jesus. And we sit not in a place in the dungeon, we don't sit in a place of failure. We don't sit in a place of heap of rubbish and ash. We seat, sit with Christ in heavenly places. That is awesome. It's awesome. And there's a fight. There's a fight of faith the Bible talks about. And we've all experienced it. Because I know as we're going through this, you're thinking, if this is all true, if, if, if the Christ's victory is my victory, then what, why does it seem like my life doesn't seem like it's, it has any victory in it? Because there is a fight. There is a battle that we're in. But the good news is, is we don't fight from a place of defeat, trying to gain victory. We, we fight from victory, a place of victory, and fighting off defeat. There is a fight of faith, but we fight from a place of victory. In 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So this fight is the fight of what? Faith. Faith. Faith in what? The finished work of Christ. Right? Right? It better not be faith in your church attendance. It better not be faith in your, your tithing. It better not be faith in, in how many scriptures you read a day or how much you pray or, or all the things, that, the penance that you do. 
Your faith better be in Christ and His finished work. Be very cautious whenever you hear a message where it gets you to be self-focused. When you, all you're doing is looking at self. Because there's no answer in self. There's only answer in Christ. We need to be Christ-focused. All of our messages need to point to Jesus. He's the author of our faith and the perfecter, the Bible says. So this fight is a fight of faith. And it's not your faith. It's faith in the finished work of Christ. Believing, trusting, embracing His finished work. Paul talks about this same thing in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, Paul says about himself, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What is this fight? It's a fight of faith. It's keeping the faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. There is a fight. But if the fight is the fight of faith and the faith is in the finished work of Christ and Christ has already won, what's that mean? You've already won. You understand that? There is a struggle in the Christian life. The struggle isn't with God. The struggle isn't with God. The struggle isn't with God. And i got to say this over and over again because so often, why is God doing this to me? Why did God choose me for this? Why God? Why this? Why that? What's the sense of even trying anymore? God's against me. You hear this over and over and over and over again. And it's not from unbelievers, it's from believers. Amen? And the reason why unbelievers don't want nothing to do with our God is because we say that God's doing all this terrible stuff to us. You can have all that terrible stuff and forget going to church on Sunday. God is not your issue. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto Himself. Jesus gave up everything. He gave up His kingdom to become a man and to walk among us. Jesus experienced, God experienced hunger. God experienced fatigue. God experienced sweat. Jesus stank. He perspirated. He stank. God understood what it meant to be sad at a funeral. Jesus wept. But the good news is that he wasn't just man. He had the Spirit of God within him, and he was God incarnate. So his weeping turned to joy when he said, Lazarus, come forth. God did this all for us, and it just boggles my mind how, it, it just, it, to me it just shows how people have not meditated on what God has done for us. That we're so easily, when, when the littlest thing happens in life, we think God's out to get us. God is for you. He's always been for you. Well, he could have just wiped us off the, like we never existed, but he didn't. It's the greatest act of romance that the world has ever seen is Jesus Christ coming for his bride, the church. 
It's just awesome. And you've got, you got to get to a place in your life where you have determined that my issues, my problems are not because of God. God is love. Right? He's, it's, not, he, it's not he has love. It isn't that that's one of his attributes. No, if you know anything that you know to be love, that's God. God is love. God is love. And we can just take it to, to, to the most natural thing. You fathers, you mothers. If you were accused of the things that God is accused of, they'd lock you up and throw away the key. But for us, we can say that God is the one causing people to, to, to die. Poverty, genocide. Just I, I don't even want to talk about all the garbage. Because it's not God. It's us. It's fallen mankind and it's Satan. That's our enemy. And if you know the rest of this message, it's worthless to you if you're gonna sit here and think that God's your problem. God is not your problem. He's for you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to succeed. I mean, you can, if, if God really wanted us to live like hell, then why did he create the Garden of Eden where there was no sin, where there was no death, where there no, was no destruction, there was no sickness, there was no disease? And why would he promise an eternal kingdom with him in heaven where there is no sin, where there is no hate, anger, sickness, disease, all that stuff? Why, if, if God, and in the middle, he says, you know what, live like hell now. No, that's not God. He, he isn't um, schizophrenic. He doesn't have two natures. He has one nature, and it is love. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the express image of the Godhead. And if you can't picture Jesus making anybody sick, if you can't picture Jesus causing someone to get in a car wreck, if you can't picture Jesus making someone lose their job and lose their house and losing all this, if you can't picture Jesus declaring war on an entire race, that's not God. That's not God. And your, your image of God has been perverted. Has been perverted. I've said enough about that, I think. But that's the problem. That's the problem. We think God's our problem. There is a struggle in the Christian life. The struggle isn't with God. Jesus has said it, seated at the right hand of God. It says that he has entered into his Sabbath rest. God's resting. He's done. He's done it all in Christ Jesus. But the problem is with our flesh and the devil's lies. There is no exemption from this fight. You can't choose not to fight. If you choose to fight, you will what? You will lose. You might go to heaven. You might get to heaven a lot quicker if you choose not to fight. But we're all going to fight. The thief comes to what? To rob, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and life to the overflow. The Christian fight is a, is a good fight. It's called the good fight of faith. What's a good fight? Come on. Amen. A good fight is a fight that you win, right? 
And the good news is that in Christ Jesus, we have already won. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. We've, we've won. <laughs> I don't know why that came up. We won. So this fight that we're in, the fight of faith is a good fight because we are winners. And that's something you have to renew your mind to as you sit here too. You have to renew your mind that you're not the defeated. Oh, woe is me. No, Christ paid too great a price to give you the victory. And all you have to do is embrace this victory by faith, trust, reliance, believe. 1 John 5.4 For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Look at how the God's Word translation puts this. Because everyone who has been born of God has won the victory over the world, our faith is what wins the victory over the world. So are you born of God today? Yes, you are. If you're born of God, born of God today, you have overcome the what? The world. And what is our victory that overcomes the world? Our faith. It's called the good fight of faith. The, fa- the faith and the finished work of Christ. And it's a victory already. We're already world overcomers because of Christ. We're in Christ. He's in us. Where are we seated? We're seated at the right hand of God, right? In heavenly places. And everywhere we go, Christ goes with us. And that same authority from the throne of heaven is in you because you are in union with Christ. This is a whole new way to live. This is what it means to be a Christian. And our faith, again, what is our faith then? Our faith is in Christ. Right? Our, our faith, you know, even, even confession, even memorizing Scripture, that's, it's good. And I, I'm trying to word this in a way that people won't take it the wrong way. I strongly encourage you to read your Bible. I strongly encourage you to memorize Scripture. But if your faith is just in, oh, I got a Scripture for this fight, you lost because your faith is not in Christ. It's in your ability to quote a scripture. Do you understand that? This is a relationship with God Almighty and the finished work of Christ and seeing yourself that you are already a victor because of what Christ has done for you. And that scripture is not because you don't throw it out there because you think that the scripture that you Quoting a scripture has power. It's the one that fulfilled that scripture, that gives that scripture any power at all. We are are a type of people that want to know what we must do, do, do. And it has nothing to do with what we do. It has to do with whom and whom. It's a person. We're going to see that later. But we got to know our enemy. We got to know some facts about our enemy. Because one of our, the biggest problems that the church has is that we have inflated Satan. We have inflated the spiritual forces of wickedness. We've inflated it to where we think that there's just some all-powerful thing that we, have no, we can't stand against. And you're going to see that the Bible paints a very, very different picture of Satan. You know, it's amazing how horror movies and all these things, even ones that are so-called um, have a Christian tilt to it, like, um, and I don't suggest you watch any of this stuff, but, you know, the, the uh, exorcists and all those things, stuff like that, 
they make the demons look so powerful. And you ever notice that like demons look mean and they're tough and they're strong? Even the devil, you know, he, he's a cool cat. He's got a goatee. He's kind of buff. He's got a pitchfork. You know, he looks, he looks pretty tough. But when they show angels, they're little babies with diapers on, stringing harps. Isn't this? <laughs> it, it just shows you that, that that's the wisdom of this world. That's the influence that Satan has on this world. He is a defeated rat. Wait till you see what the Bible says about Satan. First of all, the number one, first fact we're going to look at is that Jesus defeated Satan on our behalf. Colossians 2, 11 through 12. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about all those years of circumcision of the flesh and the covenant of Abraham was representing a circumcision of our flesh where we would no longer be controlled by our fleshly desires, our our fallen nature, but we would be circumcised, cut away from that fallen nature of Adam and be in Christ. Buried with him in baptism. Isn't it amazing how much baptism is in, in the Bible and when you understand what that means to be united, how these scriptures just kind of explode? Buried with him in baptism or we were united with Christ. Wherein also you are risen with him. Woo! So there it is. We were buried, we died with Christ, we were buried with him, and now we are risen with him, right? Through the faith of the operation of God. What is the operation of God? The operation of God is salvation, redemption, what God done through Christ. What we talked about, we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ, right? We, we, we were crucified, died, buried, resurrected, seated, and reigning. That's the operation of God in Christ, bringing humanity back to himself. That's what our faith is in, of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. So he was, we were quickened, we were made alive with him. When was he made alive? When he was raised from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Man, I'm trying not to stop at every sentence, but all your trespasses. I just feel like someone needs to know this. If there's some of you here that you think that God's forgiven most of them, but not all of them. All of them. Stop letting the devil beat you over the head with something that you've done. They're either all forgiven or they're not forgiven, right? All your sins have been forgiven. It's a gift of God. It's by His grace. All, all, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us, which were contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Over in what? In his resurrection power, in, in, in his work, 
in Christ's work. Look at this word blotting. That word blotting. I just want to share something with you. In Paul's day, paper and ink were used in writing. Okay? But the paper was different and the ink did not contain acids in it. Why is it important to have acid in the ink? Because the acid eats into the paper and penetrates the paper and makes it permanent. In Paul's day, the, the ink did not have acid in it. So it laid on top of the paper. Remember when they take the, uh, the, uh, um, the press thing, the roller thing, and roll over top of it to flatten it down? Flatten it down? And what would happen is then they had to allow that to dry. If they didn't allow it to dry, it would smear. And you could literally take, take water and blot up the ink and make it so it looks like it was never, it was unlegible or it never existed. You could blot that ink off that, water, off that page. So when Paul's talking about blotting out the handwriting of ordinances against us that were contrary to us, he was talking about blotting up that ink so it doesn't even exist anymore. That's amazing to think about. And I got a question for you. What was the ordinances, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us? It was the Old Testament law. The law was contrary to us. The law pointed out our sin. The Old Testament law has been blotted out. Notice that it's just not our transgressions, but it was also the law that was removed. Not only your transgressions, transgressions, not only your sin was blotted out, but it was also the law that was removed. Jesus took the law as a document and nailed it to the cross, in effect, writing across the bill, paid in full. The New Testament believer is no longer under the law. And I know that for some people, that just boggles their mind to think that you are no longer under the law. You are under the law of Christ now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The law, all that did was strengthen sin. The law was actually a weapon that Satan used against mankind to bring guilt, condemnation. Look at what it says here. 1 Corinthians 5, 56. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. The strength of sin. What gave strength to sin? The law of God. The law of God gave sin strength. Why? Because it showed that you were a sinner. It pointed out all your sins, your failures, and it gave you no strength to overcome. The law, all it did was point out everything you did wrong. It didn't, it's not a savior. It did not save you from your sins. All it did was say you were a sinner. You know what saved people from their sins in the Old Testament? The, sacrifi- the sacrifices. The sacrifices saved people from their sins. Faith in that sacrifice. Satan no longer has the weapon of the law to use against us unless you give it back to him. Unless you take your eyes off Christ, his finished work, what he completed for you, if you take your eyes off that and you start getting back into, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, God must be mad at me. 
you're giving the law right back to Satan. You're allowing the accuser of the brethren to be able to come in and accuse you through the law. Is the law good? Yeah, the law is good. But there's nothing in us. We weren't good. And there was no, we had no power in our flesh to overcome and do the, work, the law. And every time we tried to do the law, which we're going to see as we go on this series, every time you try to do better in the flesh, you fail. And when you fail, condemnation comes, guilt, and actually the law empowers sin and you do more and more and more. There's so many people. I mean, you can use um, drugs, you can use alcohol, you can use um, sexuality, all these things that people try to get over it in the flesh. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then what happens? They have a lapse. They do it. And, do, do they, and what usually happens is they do it in an abundance. Well, I've already failed. I might as well just do it in abundance. That's what the law does. That's what the flesh does. It has no power to do it. But there is a greater power, and a greater power living in you to overcome all those things. So Satan no longer has this weapon. Colossians 2.15 And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Today is Palm Sunday. We're talking about the triumphal entry of, of Jesus Christ. This is what this is talking about. Triumphing over them in it. A public show of them. Spoiled principalities. When I, when I talk, use that word spoiled in the King James there, you're thinking about What's going bad in your refrigerator right now? You're thinking of spoiled fruit, spoiled meat, and that's not what that word means at all. That word spoiled, actually, you look it up in a concordance, it actually means to strip. Take spoil, just take away, strip. That's what that means. And what this is talking about, they understood this. The Roman government was was ruling the world at that time, and every time a general would win a battle, they would take the king or the general of the other battle and they would strip them down. they take all their armor off them, they remove all their clothes, they take all their weapons, they take everything from them, they would strip them. They would tie them to the back of their chariot with chains, and they'd walk through the back behind them in the chariots. And they'd be coming into Rome, and Rome would be throwing a parade. They'd start blowing trumpets. See, they didn't have Facebook back then. They had to blow trumpets. And they were blowing trumpets that the victory, the, the victory, victory army was coming. The victory general was coming. And they'd start blowing trumpets, and they would pave the streets with people. And they would be throwing, women would be throwing perfume, or not perfume, flowers. So they'd have that perfume, that smell of victory. They'd be throwing flowers into the streets, and there'd be flowers all over, and there'd be music, and there'd be celebration. And this army would come in, all shined up and looking great, and they'd be marching. And then would become the general in his chariot. And then behind him would be the defeated enemy, chained, stripped. And writings say that even back then, they would cut off the general's thumbs, and his big toes. 
And the reason why they do that is he would never be able to hold a sword again, and he would never be able to run, stating that you will never, ever have to fear this enemy again. This is the imagery in this writing. This is what Paul was talking about. That Jesus Christ has spoiled, has stripped Satan of everything. He has stripped him of everything. Spoiled principalities and power. He made show of them openly. He made show and he was triumphing over them in it. It was a triumphal parade. Paul was talking about that Satan is defeated. He's chained. He's behind our general of our faith, Jesus Christ, and the victory is ours. And there's so many Christians that are afraid of a defeated enemy. And we're giving them too much, too much control and power over our life. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph. There's that word. Triumph in Christ. How do you triumph? He always, always causes you to triumph. How do you triumph? In Christ. In Christ. It's amazing how many times I hear people say, well, there's nothing we can do now but hope and pray. Well, maybe we should have started out with hoping and praying. Nothing we can do now. You start out in Christ. You war in Christ. You find your victory in Christ. You never leave Christ. This is the way a Christian lives. People should just know that if that person, if trouble comes, I know that that person is going to be praying. I know that person is going to be in Christ. I know that person is going to be speaking. And that's not the way we are. We, you go around the water cooler at work or at work or whatever, we sound just like the rest of them. Don't we? Don't worry. We can be honest. This is church. You don't need to lie here. We sound just like the world when we talk. We sound just like the world when trouble comes. We sound just like the world. And we got to get to a place where we're in Christ. And what comes out of our mouth is who we are in Christ. Not who we were in Adam. Not who we are in the world. But who we are in Christ. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. And maketh, <laughs> and maketh, manifest, maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Let me, let me read this to you in the Phillips translation. Look at this, the Phillips translation. Thanks be to God who leads us wherever we are on his own triumph, triumphant way and makes our knowledge of him spread throughout the world like lovely perfume. We Christians have an unmistakable scent of Christ. Just like those women during the Roman battles, the Roman victories, the Roman parades would throw those flowers out so not only visually were they seeing the defeated enemy, there was the smell, the sweet smell, aroma, the savor of victory in the air. And it says that we, because of the triumph of Christ, everywhere we go, there should be that sweet smell of victory. There should be that perfume fragrance of Christ if we're in Him. The scent, the unmistakable scent, the smell of victory. Not a smell of doubt, not a smell of unbelief, not a smell of fear, but a smell of victory. 
You know, if it was left up to me, if I had a battle in my own strength, there would be doubt, there would be unbelief, there would be the smell of fear. I'd be wet in my pants. But thank God, but God, I don't have to fight in my strength. I can fight in the victory of Christ Jesus. I can fight from a place of sitting in, with Christ in heavenly places. He has already won the victory. We fight the good fight of faith. Look at this. Colossians 2, 13 and 15. We've, read this, we've been looking at this. Hopefully you realize that this is the same scripture. But this is the Phillips translation. You who were spiritually dead because of your sins and, the, and your uncircumcision i.e. the fact that you were outside the law, God has now made you share in the very life of Christ. We share in the very life of Christ. You know, I don't, I don't have to come up with too, too much to talk about. I mean, right, right there. To, if I can just get you to grab hold of that, that your life, you're sharing the life of Christ, you share with Him in you is the hope of glory. In you. Now, you see those scriptures that you put up on your refrigerator, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus? Now, doesn't it become, have more meat to it? Why are you more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus? Because the very life of Christ lives in you. I know I'm a fanatic, but... God has now made to share in the very life of Christ he has forgiven you of all your sins. Why is it so important to know that all your sins are forgiven? Because if you come under condemnation, if you, come, if you think that you're sinful, you won't allow the life of Christ to live in you. You, will, you yourself will separate yourself from the life of Christ. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. And then, having drawn all the sting of the powers raged against us, he exposed them, shattered them, shattered, emptied, and defeated in his final glorious triumphal act amen's right it's awesome so can you see how the bible says that satan is utterly defeated right so we're not afraid of the devil anymore he's defeated the next thing is is god chained him to darkness second peter 2.4, for God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. To be reserved for judgment. Satan, demons, they're limited. They're limited to darkness. They're, in, they're chained to darkness. This is, not ta- this is not talking literal because it's saying reserved for judgment. Right? There's a day where they're all going to be thrown into the lake of fire and we won't have to worry about them ever, ever again. They're just chained to darkness. God has regulated Satan and his demons to darkness. They can only traffic in darkness. This is going to shed some light on some stuff for you. That's why we as born-again believers are called children of light. 
And we need to walk in the light as He is in the light, and the blood of His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He's chained to darkness. The Father, Colossians 1.13, the Father has delivered and drawn us to Himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His Son, of His love. Defeated devils should not win the victory over born-again, spirit-filled believers. You know how you make sure that you always have victory? You don't dabble in the darkness. If he's chained to darkness and he's been regulated to darkness, don't be going into his kingdom. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, haven't we? Don't be screwing around in darkness. Don't be screwing around in darkness on the internet. Don't be screwing around in darkness in what you do in your free time. Don't be screwing around in darkness when it comes to drugs, alcohol, sex, all these things. Don't be screwing around with darkness when it comes to gossip, when it comes to being hateful to one another. Don't be screwing around with darkness when it comes to being in unforgiveness. Let's talk about the serious stuff. The littlest foxes that spoil the vines. Backbiting. It's being mean. That's not Christ. Don't spoil, don't fool around in darkness. Because if you get into darkness, then he can rob, kill, and destroy in your life. But if you walk in the light as he's in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all righteousness. And what is so awesome about this is, is that if you happen to stumble in the darkness, you, don't no, lo- you no longer live there. You don't live. You're not a child of the darkness anymore. You can get up. You can cry out to Jesus. You can clean yourself off and be translated right back into the kingdom of his dear son. D- don't walk in darkness. If you're in darkness, repent. What does repent mean? It means change your mind. Confess your sin. What does the word confess mean? To say the same thing as. Say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. That it's sin. I'm a child of the living God. I have the Spirit of God living in me, and I'm not going to do that no longer. I'm walking in the light. I'm leaving the darkness. He's chained to darkness. Don't mess with it. Don't go in the darkness. It's not where we belong. Number three, Jesus has destroyed Satan. Destroyed Satan. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what? Jesus destroyed Satan? Then why are we talking about this? Why do we have all these problems if if Satan's destroyed? Well, let the Bible explain that for you. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of our salvation, perfect through sufferings. The captain, the general of our salvation through sufferings. For both he who sacrifices and those who are being sacrificed, he who sanctifies and those that are being sanctified are all of one. So what is that saying right there? The one that sanctified us and we that are being sanctified are what? One. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Aren't you so glad that Jesus isn't ashamed to call you a brother? You're a brother. You're a sister in Christ. He's not ashamed of you. 
Even the church. He's not ashamed of the church. You know, the, the church is screwed up. There's, there's things that go wrong in the church. We do some stupid stuff. But he's not ashamed to call us family. Right? Some of us, we got some family that, you know, we, we might be a little not sure about calling, letting people know they're our family. But Jesus isn't ashamed to call us family. Isn't it? That's awesome. Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will pray, sing praises to you. He says, I will declare your name. Speaking of, just as Jesus talking about God, I will declare your name to the brethren in the midst of the church, the assembly. I will praise your name. Jesus shows up to church. Jesus celebrates the finished work of Christ, of the, his finished work that God has redeemed mankind through. He is praising the Father for this awesome salvation in the midst of his brethren. That is so awesome to think about. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I, I and the children whom God has given me. That is, this is awesome. In for, verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy, destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus has destroyed the devil. It actually says that Jesus was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. He was destroyed. Satan is destroyed. What's that word destroyed mean? It means to rend him inoperative. Completely idle. Satan has no power over you. We should have no fear of defeat. He's been stripped and he's been destroyed. He's been rendered useless. The only, the only power you can give him is to believe his lies. That's the only power he has, is to deceive. The only power he has is to get you to lose your trust, your faith, your embrace of Christ, and believe his lies. And then as soon as you, whatever is not of faith is what? Sin, the Bible says. Faith in what? Christ. As soon as you get out of faith in Christ, you're dabbling in Darkness. And the last one, Jesus has doomed Satan to the lake of fire. Jesus has doomed Satan to the lake of fire. Revelations 20.10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan has no power over you. All he has is the ability to deceive you. Satan's destiny is to be thrown in the lake of fire. Satan has been sentenced, but he hasn't been incarcerated yet. Just like our bodies have been purchased, but they have not been redeemed yet. You understand that? Our spirits have been redeemed, right? Our souls can be redeemed. How? Through the renewing of our minds. And our bodies can experience that redemption through us operating in the Spirit. But there's coming a day where our bodies will be, and our minds will be totally lined up with Christ. And as He is, we will be translated in a twinkling of an eye just like Him. 
we'll see him and we'll be just like him. But until that day comes, we are fighting the good fight of faith in the finished work of Christ Jesus. I want to read something to you real quick out of Roman Revelations. We, we shared the scripture last week, but I just want to show you how, how defeated Satan is. Revelations chapter 1, verse 18, it says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I have keys of hell and the grave. I have keys of hell and death. Satan does not even have keys to his own house. That's how defeated he is. That's how stripped he was. He doesn't even have the authority to lock up his own house. He has been utterly destroyed. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You are a victor, not a victim. You have to see yourself that way. That's faith in Christ. You, we start from a place of victory. So if we are a victor, why do we seem to be so defeated so, much, so many of the times? Because the war, because we war in the flesh, not in the spirit. We, lo- we war through the law and not through grace. And that's exactly what we're going to pick up next time as we continue this, this series. Now that we've seen that we died in Christ, now that we've seen that we rose with Christ, now that we see that we're seated with Christ, now how do we take and apply this to our daily lives so that we reign in life? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that uh, you have called us brethren. We thank you that when we were lost and dead in our sins and trespasses, you sent your son Jesus, God incarnate, to redeem mankind. We thank you that your great love actually drove you to do this. Your great love for us drove you to give us the victory, to redeem us from death and destruction and bring us into right standing with you in a place of royalty at your right hand. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you were sent to empower us. You were sent to lead us and guide us into all truth. And these things we're talking about today can only be experienced through revelation knowledge. And I'm trusting you to reveal the finished work of Christ in each one of us here. That it wouldn't be just head knowledge, it wouldn't be just something that we spout off, but it would be a way that we start to live. It'd be a way that those around us would smell the sweet fragrance of the victory of Christ in our life, like a perfume. Hmm. That Jesus would be manifest everywhere we go because we are in union with him. We love you, we thank you, And we look forward to our soon coming King. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.